the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family shmup-themed podcast that celebrates Thanksgiving with turkey, stuffing, and our favorite Martians. I'm Addicted, and with me I have... Metal Fro, also known as the Game Boy Guru. And uh, RFGeneration.com is where we are hosted, and there's a lot of great content there. We have articles on the front page... We've got a huge database that has tons of games and peripherals and consoles so that if you are a collector like we are, you can catalog your collection and uh, just a lot of of different entries there. Plus, we have multiple podcasts affiliated with the site, not just ours, and an active Discord server, community forums where we play the shmup club games and also the regular community playthrough and a lot of other good discussions so it's a great place to be it's all free to use at rfgeneration.com yeah and i would have to say the database is the most impressive feature on there i swear i would end up with at least 25 more copies of super mario brothers duck hunt than i already own if it weren't for the database (laughs) (laughs) it's a great way to catalog your collection and it's not just U.S. centric, which makes it really nice for tracking down those hard to find variants, making sure that your collection, your Brazilian PS2 collection, is just as curated as your U.S. PS2 collection. Yeah, there there really is a lot of of good data from different regions all over the world, and we have several people who work tirelessly to add stuff to the database and make sure that stuff is checked and uh you know well verified that when someone adds an item that stuff is double checked for accuracy and that's something i'm very thankful for this thanksgiving everyone who works on the rf generation website and maintains the database it's no easy feat to double check everything for sure well aside from being thankful here what do we we gotta be thankful for the game and everyone who played with us for the month which is jamestown Specifically, Jamestown Plus, which is Jamestown, the original game, and the, all of the DLC. Yes, plus a couple of other things. And so, for the month, it was you and I, uh, Saturday Development, and Zoido. So, a bit smaller crowd this time. That's because it didn't have any flying pigs. Oh, yes. Well, before we get into that... Let's look briefly at the question of the month, which I threw out on Twitter, and uh, we got a handful of responses here. And so, Jamestown is geared toward a multiplayer experience. What other shooting games do you think are better as two or more player experience, and why? So first up, uh, we had at Kelsey Polnick, who is our very own Crabmaster2000 from the site and from the excuse me, the collector cast. And he says, Ikaruga, solely because it's fun to see who can last longer, because neither of you are going to beat it. (laughs) 
Our next one comes from name redacted. No, our next one comes from MK Stay on Target, also known as Mikiel Kroder. Twimpy Games and Kiki Kai Kai, Pocky and Rocky. I've had a chance to play some co-op Pocky and Rocky, but I'd really like to try some co-op Twimby. That would make for some great couch co-op. For sure. Uh, at Maz 67086804 says, It is not better in two-player than one-player, but Ikaruga lends itself beautifully to two-player. Sharing chains, maximizing bon- bonus spawning, and using the polarity mechanic to shield each other from incoming fire is a sight to behold. Oh, and you can even play two-player alone. Uh, yes, there are several very fun, what do you call them, double plays of Ikaruga online. I know that's one thing that that uh, KZ, the Kuso player, mentioned kind of in response to that. Uh, I think he was talking about a specific double play, but I've seen several uh, Ikaruga double plays online, and they are, yes, they are quite fun to watch. Our next comment comes from at Karina Dea. I wish that any shmup that already has local co-op could have online as well. DBCS, sold in their X2, etc. Co-op just brings more fun to a game for many reasons. Yeah, I would have to say that by and large that's true. I had, you know, it's not an STG, but I had a lot of fun with Castle Crashers, local co-op, uh, Darius Twin is a great game that we covered last month that would be great for co-op. All sorts of different choices there. Yeah. Well, speaking of Darius Twin, uh, Zoido says, Never tried it, but I think Darius Twin makes sense with two players, especially the first two levels, as there is more enemies than you can shoot alone before powering up. Maybe the mini-boss rush is also less stressful with two players. And yeah, I would have to say you're probably right, Zoido, because otherwise it's really impractical to do anything but go hide in the corner (laughs) during the boss rush as we talked about on the episode so yeah with two players you may have enough firepower between the two of you when you're fully powered up to kind of take down that that boss rush a lot more effectively thinking about this one of the one of the shooting games that i know i have had far more fun with uh in two player or multiplayer than single player is silkworm I played that recently with a friend who I hadn't seen in quite some time, and he came over and we sat down and and just, you know, kind of credit fed through some of that. Uh, But what was it? A couple of years back, I played that with Easy Racer. He came over and uh, we broke out the NES version of that and actually streamed that together. And then we broke out the... uh, Oh, what's it called? Super Swiv or whatever, the kind of pseudo-sequel on the Super NES. and uh, Or Swiv 4, I think it is. Whatever it is. Anyway, those games definitely work better, I think, uh, with more than one player. And we're probably designed with that in mind, based on level layouts, enemy formations, and just literally how much stuff is thrown at you. So... That, that was the kind of the immediate thing that comes to mind for me when I think of this question. Yeah, for me, this really reminds me of the classic days of Konami with your Parodia series, your uh, 
well, even with Darius and mentioned there, you're right in on there. Those to me are your couch co-op STGs that I remember fondly, especially when we're dealing with Parodius or Life Force. Yeah, that was something that uh, that was something that Easy Racer mentioned. Um, yeah, Easy Racer said uh, one of the first games covered in the Shmup Club comes to mind, Raiden Five. It plays very well in two-player mode, and there's a nostalgic charm that comes from shouting instructions to the other player as you decide who will pick up power-ups so both po- players stay equally strong. And, um, of course, the Raiden series has always benefited from two-player because there's that mechanic that they introduced. I don't remember if it was in the first game or if they introduced it in the second game, where one of the planes can get behind the other, and when you shoot through or underneath that plane, it sort of disperses a wide swath of, of, of fire. And so it's kind of an interesting mechanic that I think is not that widely known or maybe not that widely used because it's not probably a game that a lot of people play in two-player. But it's a it's an interesting element nonetheless that I think is is worth exploring. Yeah, and if you want to go shmup adjacent, you could go rail shooters with Time Crisis. It's always oh, a sure. fun game to play two player. House of the Dead. Yep. A lot of those games, I think, probably work better in uh, two player or multiplayer, just because of the kind of experiences they are. And I think that really brings us into our discussion of our game of the month. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, who contributed and uh, tweeted back at us um, with answers to our question here. And because I will have to say, uh, spoiler alert here, but I, I think that's exactly how I feel about our Jamestown, is it's much better played couch co-op than alone. Yeah, so I would have to agree. Yeah, let's go into why here. Let's start with the intro to the development of the game. Jamestown, or Jamestown Legend the Lost Colony, was published and developed by Final Form Games in 2011 for PC. The game was developed in two years and was financed by the three founders' own personal savings, which is always incredible to see that they believed that much in their product. They wanted to fund it themselves and congratulations to them yeah the developers presented the cave shooter pro gear as being the closest thing to direct influence in say the animated films of Hayao Miyazaki in particular Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind and Castle in the Sky influenced the art style the story's alternate history references Roanoke Colony includes associate figures like Walter Raleigh, Virginia Dare, John Smith, and Joachim Guns as characters. And it was neat to see a steampunk vibe on there. I think the last time we'd seen a steampunk vibe was Steel Empire. You really don't see it much in STGs, much more in RPGs, right? Yeah, and I kind of dig the steampunk uh, approach. And so that was a nice um, a nice change of pace, along with the sort of faux alternate history kind of approach with the plot and, um, you know, just how they sort of played it up for, for effect. 
Yeah, it, it's not like everyone's going after some Tex-Mexium or a wizard <laughs> coming from a moon or, you know, it, it's, it's something that has a pretty well, as, as much as it's about spaceships and flying conquistadors and Martians, it seems pretty well grounded and almost like pulp fiction. Uh, you could see it like a 1950s comic cover. Right. So in 2015, an updated version of the game called Jamestown Plus was released digitally for the PS4 and in 2019 for the Nintendo Switch. These bundles all the previous DLC into the game as well as adding two new levels, Phobos and Demios, the Moons of Mars, the Super Gauntlet mode, and some tweaks to the graphics and gameplay. Published by Battery Staple Games, also known for the 20XX and 30XX Mega Man action style platformers. And I was blown away by the amount of content here that comes with the Jamestown Plus. Because Jamestown by itself was pretty solid. But the extra addition of all the extra ships, the addition of the levels, it's not just more like they took the copy and paste approach. They actually put some thought and there's different enemy types. It's not just like a Metal Slug 2 to Metal Slug X. There, there's enough variety in here. Right. As we have previously mentioned, the focus of the game is multiplayer. It can be played via single player, but you're going to get the most fun having a four-player local co-op. And if anyone's interested in looking at it, what a four-player local co-op looks like, please take a look on YouTube for Shmup Slam 3, published out by the Electric Underground. They had a great time having four German players play through the game for it. It's definitely worth taking a look at. Yeah, that is a fantastic run to watch. So uh, the game uses a widescreen vertizontal orientation. So what that means is a horizontal, the vertically scrolling shmup that uses the full horizontal aspect ratio. So you don't need to put the monitor in Tate mode. The closest that I can say for using this is the uh, Vasara mode from the recently released collection. Oh, yes. Vasara Endless Mode. Yes. Now, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but it, with Jamestown Plus, it seems to really fit the style they're going for. I expect to see a couple more shmups start, use this, or any shmups use this as time goes on and break away from the typical horizontal or Yoko versus Tate. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I expect at one point this you will have, just have all these... Um, curved monitors and it's going to say record with a 4k screen it's just going to be be requires curved monitor for optimal (laughs) viewing right 4k and it's just going to keep scrolling there you know like the the, like do you see in the uh, current form of what's considered arcade with you have this huge space invader screen or or you have this giant pac-man versus that may be something we're going with these oh wow if you know what I'm talking about, yeah, I can see oh, that. Oh, yeah. Pac-Man versus... Uh, oof, that would be rough. <laughs> versus Gradius. Oh, man. So, as we discussed, each level is played individually, and subsequent levels are unlocked as you progress. The best way to think of these is these are sort of like training modes, getting you up. You, this game doesn't automatically assume that you're an STG player, which... I think benefits it. It tries and eases all players in. 
And, and I think that that's the way that they, and with all the different ship types and everything on there, they want to have something for everybody and try, it's not afraid to try new things, which makes it very accessible for people. In in some ways, it's almost like a party game in the, in the, in the vibe that I get from Jamestown. Oh, sure. I could see that. Yeah, it, it's not quite as something like Jackbox. But it, it's something that someone who isn't into shmups could get into and and play a couple rounds and have some fun. I wouldn't call it a gateway shmup, but it, it's, it's certainly something that you could invite everybody over and just have a couple beers and, and play the game and everyone will have fun. Right. Especially since the, the there's no real power-ups in the game that you have to worry about fighting for, with your fellow players. Very true. All right. So, the game is set in a fictional alternate reality or steampunk version of the 17th century and sees the Earth colonizing Mars with the British trying to fend off Spanish conquistadors bent on conquering Mars and wrestling control of Mars from the British. It's very pulpy, but still very nice. So, the, the opening synopsis of the game is... The year is 1619, and your character is Raleigh, a criminal sentenced to death by the King of England at the Tower of London. Naturally, as a criminal who is wrongly charged, you wish to clear your name by performing the heroic feat of traveling to Mars and investigating the disappearance of the Roanoke colony. The story takes place very quickly, just over a few days, as a war between the British and the Spanish follows Raleigh to Mars. Raleigh quickly discovers the planet's secrets, and discovers exactly what the Spanish are up to on the red planet. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a very interesting um, plot premise, and one that I thought was kind of refreshing. I mean, ultimately, this is still a space shooter, as the classic terminology is, but definitely with a twist because of the whole alternate history and you know the sort of mix of Mars with life forms on it, and then also the British versus versus the Spaniards. So it's kind of a fun little twist on uh, on the typical formula. Yeah, I would love to see them make like a pseudo sequel or a spiritual sequel, one that where you can select between Charles Lindbergh or Amelia Earhart and taking on uh, maybe the Japanese or something on there, that would be a nice alternate history. Trump sort of like Steel Empire in some ways. Right. Uh, or or uh, a bit like the forthcoming, what is it, Squadron 51, I think? Squadron 51. You have to jog my memory on that one. Yeah, it's uh, it's an indie shmup that's, that's forthcoming. It's supposed to be coming out on PC, Switch, possibly PS4. Uh, I believe it's being done by a Brazilian team, if I'm not mistaken. And it's essentially, uh, it's black and white. It's supposed to be sort of a, a pulpy B-movie kind of thing. And it's set in a, a sort of alternate past where aliens come to Earth and the you know armies and air force and so forth of the world have to sort of fend off the alien invasion. Uh, but it's all supposed to kind of give off that 1950s, 1960s B-movie sci-fi sort of vibe. Yeah, Ed Wood, the STG. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I I had to look it up, and it it totally makes sense on here. It reminds me of uh, 
the Turbo Graphics, and they made that was a the canceled the Genesis version that was a shooter. I, from what I remember, it was a shooter in the veins, sort of like Smash TV, like you see with Xeno Crisis. But it um, it came from the desert was the one that was actually released for the Turbo CD. Oh yes, so like in that vein. Yep. So uh, it's rarely used, but when it when it is, it, it certainly makes the game stand out. Oh, and for kudos, sure. Kudos to them for coming up with something that isn't uh, you know sp- in, set in space or some militaristic shooter or some. Uh, Flying lollies or something. There's something different, right? What we normally see, or, or you know, I guess in an age where everything is the same, it, I'll just say it's nice to see something different. Uh, I'll just cut it for there because I was about to go to a flying finger, but we may want to cover that later. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. It's nice to see something that's not just wyverns, waifus, and wing jets. <laughs> you know? There we go. That's good. We'll use that one. Yeah, <laughs> waifus. Yeah. And one of, I'm going to spoil a little something here, but uh, I'm so looking forward to doing Neko Navy next year because it's so different, but it's so well put together. Oh, Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about the gameplay of Jamestown. Yeah, uh, on the surface it seems pretty simplistic. I mean, each of the ships in the game has kind of a basic primary shot. Excuse me, as you mentioned before, there are no power-ups. So the power of the shots that you fire is the power that you have. Uh, and then there's a secondary button that activates your ship's special weapon or special technique, and that differs from ship to ship. Some of those, like the initial beam ship that is uh, available from the start, will slow your craft down, very much a kind of Dompatch or Dodompatch style. Uh, And others, the secondary button doesn't do that, and some of that's just because of the nature of the attack. There's a third button that activates what's called the Vaunt system. And this does, it accomplishes multiple things. You get a temporary shield around your ship, which can collect uh, bullets, not just deflect them, but actually collect them and give you points. Your weapon changes color from kind of a blue to more of a purple, in most cases, I think. You get a, a score multiplier while Vaunt is active, and I believe it's a 2x multiplier, if I'm not mistaken. Also, uh, while you're in Vaunt, you can press the Vaunt button again to cancel it manually, which then very briefly gives you a smaller temporary shield, and you can sort of use that to get out of hairy situations. Now, in order to activate Vaunt, you got to fill up the meter by collecting cogs and um, like these golden uh, nuts that you would, you know, see like nuts and bolts, the um, the nuts and the cogs that you collect uh, that enemies drop, and depending on the size of the nut or cog, will d- will factor into how much of the meter is full. The really large golden cogs actually fill it all the way, and some enemies will drop those. 
Um, but I was never able to correlate when an enemy drops those or why. I just know certain enemies do drop them more often than not. And as you mentioned before, of course, the, it starts out with a single stage, the opening level, and then basically gives you the ability to, once you beat that level, uh, whether you beat it on a single credit or whether you have to kind of credit feed your way through it um, with the limited number of credits that you, you're given, once you're able to do that, then the second level unlocks and then you can start playing through that. And each each level has different difficulties that are available to it. And so like the first level, it has all the difficulty levels. Then the second stage has several and so forth. But then as you move up down, up through the stages, then the lowest difficulty levels aren't available and you can only play them at whatever the difficulty level is that you sort of unlock later. Yeah, it starts out with what uh, basic, then it goes to heroic and legendary, and then something else. Right? It, there's yeah. five parts of it, and it's sort of meant to be gradually getting you on with the stages, with the idea that you'll do Gauntlet at the end, which is all of the stages in one shot. Right, more like a traditional shoot 'em up. Yeah, I, I thought it worked out pretty well for there. The only drawback that I saw. Was at, it gets so you so used to having a little bit of a crutch in some way is because it gives you three credits per. Yeah. And when you do gauntlet, you get three credits total. It's sort of it, it, it's like having training wheels on your bike the entire time, and you sort of get used to them. And then as soon as it kicks those training wheels off in the gauntlet mode, you find out, oh shoot, this is pretty hard. Yeah. And <laughs> I I appreciate it in some ways, but it's it can set up a little bit of a false sense of security. Right. Yeah. Once you make your way through all the stages and you finally beat it, and then you go to tackle the, the gauntlet to use your bicycle metaphor, that's when you fall off the bike and scrape your knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it certainly becomes pretty tough at that point in there. And depending upon what type of ship you picked, it could be, uh, Next to impossible, too. There's some ships that definitely fare better than others. Yeah. Now, you know, the initial ship that you st- that you start the game with is the beam ship. And like I said, that's kind of a sort of a classic Dodonpach or, or Dompach style archetype where you have a, a mild spread shot, if you will, that's not super weak, but not super powerful. And then you have the beam laser. That you activate with your your second button, and again that slows your movement down, just like in in uh, most of the cave games, and is more powerful than just your regular shot by itself. You forgot to say it right. You forgot to say do 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 don't touch <laughs> don't touch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you know they're kind of heavily borrowing from that classic, you know, template, if you will. But as you as you progress, you unlock different ships. Now, of course, the classic batch of ships that were available in the original game, you know, there are there are four different types. It's beam. Uh, there's gunner, which is a sort of a sort of a thing where you have two different. Think of, yeah, the gunner is 
it's, it's like a turret that you can move around, right? Because it's going to be narrowed focus shot that goes like the screen, but you can turn it in a 360 degree. Right. It's it's like rolling gunner, um, but in a vertical shoot 'em up. And so, you know, if you're if you're holding down the primary fire button and you're firing forward with your main cannon, then as you move around the screen, the gunner kind of turns opposite of the, or, you know, sort of in the direction that you're moving instead of opposite of the direction you're moving, like in Rolling Gunner. But then if you press and hold that second button, that will lock the gunner in place. You have to let go of your primary button, but that will lock your gunner in place to whatever direction it's it's at at the time, and then it will continue to fire your forward cannon as well. So it's sort of an interesting system. Right, it makes it really hard for enemies, for you that type of ship to get flanked by enemies. On there. And, and it's really easy, so you can do a little bit of damage for the bosses too, because you can always position where you need to be. It reminded, it reminded me a lot of the rotary joysticks that SNK used for Akari Warriors. Oh, sure. So it's on there where you, you've got all these movements, all these degrees of freedom on here without the uh, frustrating and the swearing of trying to actually move your character into a position. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gondomania. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, I, I definitely like this. I think that if you were to build a team of ships that you have on there, and I saw this even with the Studio Muppets review, this ship did a lot of popcorn support for a second player. Right. And this is this is one of the four ships that were used in um, that four-player run for Shmup Slam 3. Yeah, and so was, I believe, the, the beam was as well, which I found really, even though you slow down and it's stereotypical for any cave STG and it's been done to death, it is... <laughs> still there because it works very well and I ended up using the ship most of the time as I was vaunting through the levels and through the gauntlet it made things a lot easier especially when you get to the later half of stage 2 when you deal with all those enemies that are a little bit more bullet spongy than I would have anticipated you know what right before you get to the lost colony of Roanoke and you're on the all those ships that shoot missiles at you and then there's the one that looks like, I don't know, for better, um, where to guess. It's, it has this butt, I don't know, that fires missiles and stuff. It's trying, <laughs> trying to describe, it, it's, it's like the mini-boss of that stage. Mm, right. That's, that sits there and fires all, all those um, rains at you and shoots out those. No, they're not quite ripple lasers, but they look similar to that. Oh. They're sitting there. Yeah, if, if for that, if you have the focus shot ship and you're using the vaunt, you can make pretty quick work of all of those enemies pretty well and keep your vaunt up and get a pretty good high score. Right. It, it's a little bit harder to do with the gunner. And, there, and then you have the bomber, which is for masochist, in my opinion. Yeah, the bomber's an interesting one. You've got a forward-firing cannon... And then as you go along, you'll get these barrels that will start flying around your ship and you can get up to three at a time. And they sort of act like options in Gradius 
sort of like the the spinning options in Gradius Three, if you will. Which, yeah, but you can throw. This is weird. You can throw the options, and the right. more you throw the options, then the less actual firepower your ship has. Right. So it's sort of like uh, almost like a like a proto version of what they did in Salamander Two, but a decade uh, and a half later, where you can fire off your options and damage enemies. So it's, I messed around with it a little bit. It's a difficult one to wield and definitely would take some, some learning and some time to sort of get used to how it plays in order to kind of finesse your way through the stages. And then there's also the charge ship, which essentially gives you the ability to charge up a large energy orb, if you will, and shoot that out. And that sort of cuts through enemies. And uh, if I remember correctly, it's piercing as well. So even if you don't destroy what's right in front of you, it'll just kind of keep going up the screen and damaging things along the way. That's another one that I think with some practice could be effective if you knew how to use it. But it definitely is one that would require some some technique in order to properly utilize because it doesn't have that immediate that immediate feedback of something like a gunner or the beam ship where you're firing that weapon all the time or have the option of firing that weapon all the time and can sort of you know get that always on firepower you know this this has to be utilized a little bit more specifically and so you kind of have to know what's coming and what's ahead so you can really dig in. Well, there's a little bit more ships. Than that. Well, the ship I was referring to for being masochist, the bomber, is where you can detonate your own bullets. For that, you don't have to go full uh, point blanking. It's almost play it like Hetsui and get up in there in order to actually make use of that, which puts you in harm's way. Almost a hundred percent of the time, it makes the game extremely hard. Oh yeah, very difficult. And you know, then then you've got additional ships that you can unlock and basically buy from the shop, the in-game shop, once you have earned enough ducats, uh, which is the currency that you all earn by beating those individual stages. And so, in a way, you can sort of grind your way to earning enough money to unlock different options and things. So you can buy, or you can earn these ducats in-game to then purchase additional ships, or to unlock the challenge levels, or, you know, different types of upgrades and things like that. Um, and so, there are two other banks of ships that you can unlock. There's the Armada... Uh, which is the second level, and then there's the Treason group, which is the third level. I only ever managed to unlock one of the Armada ships, uh, but then I, I did manage to get, I think, all four of the Treason ships. The uh, and You're talking about the Ghost? In the, tre the Ghost is the one that allows you to set up, and then you sort of have like a physical weapon, right? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like you put up a a ghost, essentially, of your own ship that has a narrow forward fire and then a sort of spread fire behind it. Um, and then you sort of end up with this sword, effectively, that juts out from the front of your ship and you can kind of run into enemies and things like that in order to cut stuff down and do damage. 
The interesting thing about the the ghost ship is that you sort of have a a little bit of an aura around your ship, or kind of a a mild shield, so you don't immediately die from running into enemies because of that aura that your sword gives off. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there. Because you have to get up close and personal with everything in order to take it out, you're less susceptible to just running into enemies and dying. But of course, you also then have to watch out for enemies sniping you as you get in close because you're still susceptible to bullets. <laughs> that That's another one of those, like the gunner, where I think probably the skill ceiling for trying to use that um, that particular ship is a little bit higher. Yeah, and I would also have to put the skill ceiling for the treason as being a little bit high because it, that one, it has interesting where it can lock onto enemies and shoots missiles, but you can't just sort of dump fire them and they have to be charged up and then they only go towards the closest enemy. So you really have to pay attention to what the heck you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it does have a strong forward cannon, but yeah, the fact that the missiles take time to charge, I mean, you can just sort of tap the button to get a couple missiles to shoot out, but as you say, they just sort of dumb fire, and then you don't really have any any control over it. They just sort of target what's close. Even when you're charging them up for a larger volley, you still don't really have any control over where they go. So you really have to have to manage your popcorn enemies and do your crowd control with that primary wave cannon that it shoots out. Um, so that one's definitely harder to use. The one that I latched onto early on was actually the Lazar ship in the Armada group. That one has a similar configuration to the beam ship where you got that uh, dome patch or dome patch style laser, but instead of it firing out from the front of your ship, you sort of drop a a deal when you activate that laser and then hold it down, so that wherever you are on screen at that point, it sort of drops these two little I don't know what you call them, two little things that effectively fires that laser for you. So you can drop a laser somewhere on screen and those things will just sort of stay in position and that laser will continue to fire as long as you hold the button down and you can move around independently and use your your main weapon or your primary shot to continue to take out enemies or you know do damage or whatever and i i took to that ship early on because that allowed me to because i didn't really have a great sense of the hitbox for the ship or for any of the ships for that matter instead of trying to weave through bullet patterns and things it allowed me to to do a little bit more macro dodging and you know pay more attention to threats and things instead of having to try and be dead center in front of an enemy and attacking it while also moving back and forth to try and avoid bullets and things and so it, it sort of allowed me a little bit more freedom than you would normally get in order to attack, but then also not worry about whether my attack is hitting because I've set the laser there and it's just going to keep going. I think it plays to the game's strength that there is so many different ship types, even if not all of them work out pretty well. 
I, I definitely have to give credit that, that they thought through more than just your standard three. When it, it, a game that doesn't have your standard screen clearing bomb, in which I'm thankful for, it's not refreshing to have something that has this much variety. Right. And and ultimately, the vaunt system sort of stands in for a screen clearing bomb because it gives you a couple seconds or so of essentially invulnerability to move around and kind of, you know, collect bullets and so forth. But, but have that window of time where you can kind of get out of that nasty bullet pattern or, or um, use that to sort of move into a new area so that you're not weaving through bullets. Um, you can just sort of go and be there and then set up for whatever's next. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see the different types of ships that we can there and maybe in a couple years so we can all try this as was demonstrated in Shmup Slam 3 together I, I would love to see uh, this done maybe it, it turn into some sort of arcade game or something like uh, Galloping Ghost and done as a four player arcade machine I think that'd be pretty neat oh yeah that'd be kind of neat yeah so now that we have talked about all the ships in here. Let's talk a little bit about the levels themselves. We start off with the first level whose name is, I don't know. I, I was trying to find chapter uh, one. Uh, chapter one. It was a dark and stormy night. Yeah, so uh, with the, the five main chapters, uh, chapter one is War Upon the East Frontier. Or as the game puts it in much more dramatic terms, war upon the East Frontier, in which a settlement is ravaged by betentacled Martians loyal to the Spanish, and a villain appears. I do love the drawn-out and dramatic ways that each of the stage, each of these chapters sort of uh, displays when, you know, kind of in the, the short prelude to each stage. It's all very dramatic and and uh, kind of adds to the campiness of the game, which I appreciate. So the first stage up there does a good job of setting enemies up with predictable patterns, giving an idea of what the game is going to be, and re really does a good job of getting used to the controls. There's nothing out here that's going to be too out of the order, too hard for you to fight. I definitely didn't have too hard a time with the first boss, the Martian prince who uh, sent sent out all the, the those baby squids your way. Uh, it's definitely was a good introduction, and it it didn't doesn't wouldn't make anyone who just tried the game rage quit. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say I like the the sort of B-movie look of the uh, the Martian prince. You know, all the squiggly tentacles, and and it's all sort of very old-school sci-fi sort of look to it. Um, it was kind of a nice, a nice homage to early science fiction uh, lore and just sort of look and feel. Yeah, it also gives a very good... 
I should say it also helps you along the way where we have the sharpshooters, the British sharpshooters, who help pick off enemies on there. So the game has even a little bit more of a training wheels there to get you acclimated. Right. Yeah, I saw a couple of reviews that noted that as well. Stage two is where it doesn't go full-on cave, but it definitely ratchets up the difficulty in stage two. If you want to give the quick synopsis for stage two here. Yeah. Journey through the dark sector, in which Raleigh is pursued by the vigilant Spanish border guard, and the awful truth stands revealed. So stage two is interesting because it's sort of broken up into two distinct parts. Um, sort of an approach in the sky as you're taking out uh, different different uh, flying craft from the Spanish Armada. Uh, and then you sort of descend down into this swampy area. And then all of a sudden, you're not fighting the Spanish Armada anymore. You're fighting the Martians. And so you're you're fending off these sort of like alien plant-based things that shoot out what I'm guessing are spores at you. And it, it starts to get the screen. If you're not taking out enemies quickly enough, the screen starts to get pretty cluttered with bullets and uh, detritus <laughs> to, uh, to kind of weave through. Yeah. It, it, it sort of switches real quickly from Gradius to life force. Yeah. And I would stage two. It it's a little bit of a step back in some ways. I mean, it's not quite as cohesive as stage one. It's almost like they they had two good ideas and they had to cut it a little bit shorter, just pieced them together. I mean, I I think that they really made up with it in stage three, which we'll talk about in a second. But stage two just feels sort of like black sheep, which some people may say is stage five, but we'll get to that in a little bit. And stage two really has to have you focus on know your ship in the beginning, because it's going to face you with a lot of bullet sponge and enemies and your first mid boss, which I found to be incredibly frustrating to deal with without the beam or the focus shot on there. How did you fare? Uh, I struggled with that mid-boss, um, at least until I sort of got a feel for the... There's a there's this point where the ship goes... Where that ship goes down to the bottom of the screen and starts firing off a huge wave of bullets and things. And so I found that the most effective way to deal with that thing is to get up close and personal with it get basically at the bottom of the screen when it comes down. It won't hit you, but you can just be pelting it with your weapons, and then <clears throat> right after it activates that huge wave of bullets, um, activate your vaunt because it will shoot directed bullets at you while it's doing that huge wave, and that way you can sort of do a ton of damage to it, and then hopefully, if you time it right, you'll either take it out as your vaunt is expiring, or You'll have just enough time to sort of move out of the way before the last directed shot so that you can be, stay safe and then, uh, you know, take it out. Yeah, that boss gave me a little bit of trouble until I, as I mentioned earlier, I used the beam or the focus beam and then used Vaunt. And it by using Vaunt and quickly taking out the smaller ships, 
I could maintain the Vaunt all the way throughout and it really made quick work of those enemies and of the mid boss. And especially within stage, the latter half of stage two, if you activate Vaunt, and you just focus on quickly clearing out all of the overgrowth on there, it, you can really rack up the points on there. And I think that almost that ship is one of the easier ways to route that level. I didn't like the boss at the end. I mean, it, conceptually it was pretty neat, but it, the way that it played, it felt very one note compared to the, the multiple stages of the stage one boss. Right. Yeah, I never felt like it was any danger, really, except for the shots coming from the side. You know, right. or the, let's just the upper right hand and the upper left hand corner. Yeah, it's it's almost like the, the stage two boss is a little bit easier than the mid boss, even. I would agree with that, yes. So stage three, basically after, at, at the end of stage two, you rescue uh, this girl, Virginia, who requests that you break her father out of prison, who's being held by the conquistadors. And so chapter three, prisoner of the badlands, in which a prison break is affected by simply attacking the prison and all its robotic guards in broad daylight and Roanoke's last survivor shares a vital clue. So yeah, this is like it's a, it's an interesting change of pace because it's a, it's like a sort of a train yard almost in this prison colony, right? Yeah, stage 3's going to ha- be a lot for people. Oh no, wait. No, that's but that's stage 4 on That's stage of. 4 about yeah. I mean, in some ways, I could see a train yard because of the ways it... But it, it's like a mining facility slash prison on there. And, and the only part that it was a little bit hard about this is the choice of the color for the ground in this stage could ma- make some of the bullets a little bit hard to see. But oh, right. other than that, I found it to be an excellent stage. I mean, stage two was sort of, uh, this sort of piecemeal, but stage three really ratchets it up and fun in making you tap dodge you've got in there you have the mines that explode on there the saucers that follow you around and then you have the larger enemies on there it always gives you something to do there's not a dull moment which which i feel like stage two had a couple of moments that got a little bit close to being dull and stage three keeps the action flowing the, I, I like the, the flying saucers got the better of me several times until I started getting used to the way that they were moving <clears throat> deal with them and then the <clears throat> way that those turrets at the very end of the stage were there that were firing at each other and sort of creating barriers if you shoot one out the others would start doing more focus shots towards you I thought that was a nice touch the music for the stage was excellent and the mid-boss really makes you focus on learning patterns and maneuvering around with, especially on the higher difficulties. I, I really thought the the whole stage, and especially the end boss, was put very well put together. Right. Yeah, stage one is a, like you said, training wheels. It's a fun set piece with kind of the beginning area with all the, all the British soldiers, uh, taking out some of the enemies along the way and kind of setting up the game for you. Stage 2 is a little bit disjointed with a sort of half-and-half thing, but Stage 3 is, yeah, it's really where the game kind of comes into its own and starts to really, really show off what it's going to bring to the table and 
starts to really become a little bit stronger. And then that's that until everything has fallen into stage four. And stage four get, really folk makes you really have to know the Vaunt system and how to quickly take out targets and prioritize and everything else. It, it, this part I like is this reminds me a lot of the standard cave escalation that I like, where stage two starts to get a little harder and stage three becomes pretty, pretty darn hard where you're going to have to know how things work. And then stage four, we really have to know the systems in and out. And I, I feel that the same thing is true with Jamestown. Where stage four, the game is not going to hold anything back anymore. And you've got to prioritize targets and move through and activate your vaunt and <clears throat> deal with the, the ship. And I like the, I like the way that the stage four is with, like, let's say... The scoring system where you have the train if you deal with the end of the train last you'll get a higher scoring bonus and what parts of the flying saucers or those little flying cargo ships are you going to take off to hit each one of those parts in the right order or for dealing even dealing with the emboss and the emboss you have to make sure that you shoot them enough in time if you don't make it then you've got to re-hit part of his shields in order to bring down the shields again it does everything that three does so well and it adds upon it yeah the boss was interesting with that uh that need to sort of destroy a couple of things in order to basically uh reveal the the weak point and then attack the weak point in order to then you know, move on to kind of the next phase and sort of have to do that on the left side and the right side at the front of the boss. And so that was a neat, a neat system. But this is, uh, yeah, that's chapter four, Secret Mines of New Madrid, in which Raleigh races time to prevent a foul desecration of Mars itself and the villain shows his hand. And then we move on to stage five, the cha or chapter five, The Lost Temple of Croatoa in which the most ancient sanctuary of a forgotten Martian culture is awakened and made very angry, and the conquistador goes all in. And this is a very different um, experience than the rest of the game, because when you go into this temple of Croatoa, you're not just flying through it and shooting stuff, but there are... There, it's, it's almost maze-like in a certain way. There are hazards to deal with, and things that you have to watch out for, not just bullets and enemies, but actual moving walls and things like that, where the stage itself will kill you, not just the enemies. <laughs> yeah, and this is going to be one of those stages that goes from being everybody, I mean, some people's favorite stage and because it does something different, or it becomes every, somebody's worst stage and they hate it because it does something different. It's almost more of a, a, a platforming level than a standard STG level. It's a force you to think around obstacles. Move there; they have walls that are moving in and out all the time. There, it. it I think that is anyone who's played some of the later stages in Gradius when you get near the end and you get with all those things where the walls come in and you have to zip through it in time and you have to know beforehand what it's going to do. It, 
it shares a lot with with those which you know <laughs> depending upon your mood could cause as mentioned before it could be great or it could be extremely frustrating it, I found out that this was the hardest level for me to navigate, especially with the charge on there. The, or I should say with the, the focus, the beam, not the charge. The charge seemed to be really well for working this level because it's taking a shotgun approach. And when you fired out that shot, it could take out almost everything that was in there. Otherwise, you'd constantly be in focus mode. The ships that I would choose for stage five are totally different than the ships that I would use through stage one through four. Right. Which was interesting, but I'm not so sure that maybe want to continuously play stage five. Right. And, and stage five, actually funny enough, the ship that I got along with best in stage five was the ghost, uh, because I was able to sort of set up the ghost uh, the ghost ship at the top of the screen, kind of toward the center, to sort of provide some fire and coverage. And then I could kind of zip through the level with the ghost and just sort of do damage and stuff like that. And, you know, it takes a while to sort of learn the the way to route through that stage and where there are breakable walls that you can kind of cut through and where the hazards are so you can kind of go around them or move through them successfully. This is one of those where, for me, conceptually, it's really cool. And when I watched the Shmup Slam 3 run, where you had multiple people moving through it and, you know, kind of going through it in different ways, it looks really cool. And it's a it's a well-designed sort of experience. But this this stage really, really frustrated me. Um... I was just, I was not prepared for, for stage five. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Stage five, especially the boss, and there is something definitely, also there. The first stage is pretty easy to do, but the second stage can be quite frustrating. Oh yeah. When, the first stage you're basically doing reflex dodging or tap dodging on there. It's, it makes things pretty easy to do. You're just dodging patterns, but the second part on there, he, he shoots out these massive waves of bullets, and these blocks come through, and these blocks are, are blocking the waves of bullets from you. But the, you also need to shoot them in order to break down the shield of the conquistador, and then you can actually hit him. So it, it's an interesting risk reward system that borders on frustrating at times, but. I thought it was certainly unique. It's on Legendary. It, it definitely uh, handed my butt to me on several right. times. Well, and and I thought it was appropriate given that the developer of the game of of Jamestown is Final Form Games. That the final boss of the game would in fact have more than one form. You know, with a sort of ship that you take out when you get to the end of Chapter Five, and then. Once you destroy the conquistador's defenses, then he merges with the the ancient Martian and literally becomes the heart of Mars. Yeah, he merges with my favorite Martian and becomes the heart of Mars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In is 
Definitely, Fresta. Were you able to uh, finish the second phase? No, I, I never managed to finish the second phase. I did reach it a couple, three times, but I didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, you could almost jokingly call stage five the gauntlet by itself. In some ways, yes. All right. And so what about the extra stages that are there? Yeah, Phobos, Phobos and Demos. I, I did play. I did play at least one of them. I don't know if I unlocked both of them, but that was kind of cool. You know, it was a different a different uh, approach and kind of neat to have some additional content there. I didn't spend a lot of time with that. I actually spent more time with the challenges, uh, which you can you basically play enough to unlock the ability to buy the challenges with the ducats that you earn by playing the game. And then I went in and unlocked the challenges by spending the ducats. And then I did several of those challenges. So actually, that's probably where I spent more of my time than in the core game itself. Um, right, just because well, they're kind of shorter, um, more focused experiences. Yeah, the I definitely recommend going back and trying out the DLC levels because the Phobos level starts out similar to stage two but does it with a little bit better variety where you deal with a prison break and you start out with a very uh, castle looking and very steampunk aesthetic or so well then you break down the gates and it just becomes very overgrown a very life force you're dealing with spiders and fight a giant spider at the end it's much better than stage two and is really well done. One of the, the best stages, I think, within Jamestown Plus. Mm, cool. The The other st- stage is deals with, you know, uh, space crabs. Oh, yes. <laughs> Actually, space crab pirates. And I, I think it's, that's aside from the boss, the stage itself is really well done. And it, it's definitely one of the standouts in Jamestown Plus. The, the boss fights a little, little pirate ship lady. Eh, take it or leave it. It's you know just basically like f- dodging frontally, which is can be a little bit or dodging frontal attacks. It can be a little boring at times, but the stage itself is a lot of fun, and I I really had fun with the Phobos stage with a giant spider at the end. Highly recommend taking a look at the, at those stages when you have a second. They're also in the Shmups M3 because they did the uh, extra gauntlet. Oh, right. Which had all the DLC levels. So if you want to see what those are like, please take a look at that. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I spent a lot of time with the challenges. And so you you unlock different, uh, different sets of challenge levels. And I want to say each one of the challenge packs has four stages in it. And they have different uh, requirements in order to complete them. And so... One stage they'll throw at you says you have to survive for this length of time. One of them has a scoring requirement. Uh, then there will be one where they go full Superman 64 on you and you have to fly through these rings or, you know, fly over these these rings on the ground or in the sky or whatever. And there's a certain number of them that you have to get. And so different things like that. Um, those I, I thought were pretty cool. Some of those challenges, though, are brutal, and 
if you go back and watch the the VODs of my streams, you'll see that some of those took me many, many, many tries to get through. And they're not very long. You know, I mean, a couple of those, you're, you know, like the first survival one is like 60 seconds or whatever. Um, but they throw a ton of bullets at you. So it's a kind of guessing game to figure out, okay, I need to figure out how to dodge through a lot of this stuff. So I can get toward the end of this, make sure I've got enough enough cogs and a, a full meter so I can activate Vaunt, and then make sure I don't activate it too soon so that when I get to the end of the stage, you know, I can I can use that as sort of a, a way to get through the last couple of seconds. Um, because otherwise it's all dodging, and it gets pretty intense. Yeah, the challenge levels themselves are something that I played a little bit and <laughs> it does escalate pretty quickly there's one where the you're on stage three and it's filled and filled and filled with mines and they just to start exploding 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 and so you really have to be on top of just destroying them before they all explode and you're just killed in a uh, splatter storm of bullets oh yeah yeah that that one in particular took me forever to get through I mean I think I spent the better part of one evening on it, and then when I came back to it the next evening, I want to say I still spent many runs on it before I, I finally managed to get through the end of it. Either that or I rage quit. I don't remember which. <laughs> uh, so, I guess we should talk about the graphics. The art style is interesting. I, I was watching a review where they sort of compared it to, as you referenced before, kind of a Miyazaki sort of film or, a, you know, a Studio Ghibli or Ghibli film. But it's sort of like a Western, a Western art cartoony take on a lighthearted Japanese anime style, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the characters have a very chibi quality or chibi everything has a chibi look to it similar to the things that you would find I mean, if you look at back to the graphics of the original famicom and the way that things were very cartoonish or had a very again a chibi graphical quality look to them you had the same sort of art style in there that the very western western themes but uh, a very anime or japanese influence Right. I mean, they don't go full full on Kunio Kun or anything like that, but certainly. No, I, I didn't see any uh, large <coughs> eyes on the bosses, <laughs> or or if it had been rare, googly eyes on the bosses. Right. But it, it definitely um, it definitely has a little bit of that look to it. We, you know, we kind of talked about this as we we're laying out the levels, but each stage is pretty unique in terms of how it looks, which is, I think, a uh, definitely something in the plus column for this game because it it keeps things interesting and it definitely keeps things visually speaking from becoming boring uh, because you're dealing with different different visual cues and just kind of a different vibe for each each chapter and and it's very colorful well, the graphics check the box because your deal. There's nothing in there that 
with the maybe slight exception of stage three that would keep you from identifying incoming bullets to the point where it would cause frustration on there everything is clear and visually easy to read and even in a hectic firefight you can visually pinpoint what's going on to determine what the enemy was in the other point too is it makes it easy to visually identify when you've hit something that needs to be damaged or when something like in stage two later on when something is about to explode it, it flashes a certain color right it's on there your vaunt is a different color for me just check and see if you're there those little cues are easy to pick upon and it's not something that i ever found myself going where the heck did that come from right and sort of, again, hearkening back or being an homage to uh, Dome Patch and Dodon Patch, you sort of have a, a combination of a pink bullets and and blue bullets or lasers or whatever coming from enemies. So it sort of, sort of brings that vibe to it as well. But that kind of helps make things more distinct and, and visually identifiable, like you said. And I also kind of like the the sort of B-movie alien design and and the different ship and enemy designs I thought were were all fairly good. You know, kind of mixing that that B-movie aesthetic with a sort of steampunk kind of thing. And I don't know, I thought it meshed relatively well. Yeah, I, I don't really have any complaints from the graphic side now the soundtrack man man i the soundtrack always made me hungry at the end on there that <laughs> whenever i beat a level i was hungry for beef yes I, I i think during one of my streams people almost everybody was commenting on that like when i would get to the end of a stage and it would play that little song at the end people were saying oh man this is making me hungry like uh like all those beef TV commercials and I'm like Martian it's what's for dinner <laughs> <laughs> if, what's the the actual it's a small clip from what's the actual um, name of it here I'm not drawing a blank on there it's not it's called hoedown hoedown oh. yes is the is the song that's in the beef commercials and the ending the little ditty that plays after the stage it's not the exact same thing but the melody line is similar enough that it sort of evokes that. Yeah, and if you have a chance to watch again the Shmup Slam 3 face on that, they're, very, they're all wearing, or for the most part, wearing cowboy hats. Yes. I love the little yeah. victory dance they do at the end. Yeah, after each stage, they do a little victory dance where they sort of, you know, jump around and swing their hats around, and it's, it's very entertaining. But overall, I have to say that I really enjoyed the soundtrack. There is there anything that, aside from the uh, beef, it's what's for dinner sound at the end, it, that really stood up and made me want to listen to it outside? But there was nothing that was um, sounded like it had been mixed by a mosquito. <laughs> right. It, 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 it wasn't offensive, but it wasn't standout. I got to buy the, the CD or vinyl. But it was definitely on the higher side of quality. It was it was very well done. Sure, yeah. This is this is one of the aspects that I I thought was quite good in the game. Hats off to Francisco Cerda who did the soundtrack. You know, it kind of has that lush orchestral feel to it, and I 
I really thought it was pretty good. I don't know, you know, how memorable it is as compared to something like Ikaruga or Radiant Silver Gun, but, you know, it's similar style in the sense that it's more of classical music kind of, of approach, and so I could see this being good background music like those soundtracks are, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the music in the game. Uh, it was a nice change of pace. Uh, otherwise, <clears throat> I mean, the sound design was solid. What would you say about the sound effects themselves? I thought that it, it wasn't overblown or something on there. The with it, like indie again, we caught it with Steel Vampire before. I loved the game, but the sound effects were so overblown. I felt like my speakers were blown out when I right. was playing that game. And, and this game has none of that. Everything seems very well balanced. It's when you have an explosion, the ships blow up, and you get that hit of your gun, and it's got that nice crunchy effect. Right. Yeah. I, nothing in the sound effects was annoying. Uh, I did like the explosions. I thought that were they were pretty decent. Uh, I was glad that you could sort of adjust the volume independently for sound effects and music. Um, but be so because I like the music, I sort of turned that up a little bit and turned down the sound effects a little bit. So it was a bit less, um, less in your face. And, uh, so that was a nice feature. And I think we're in agreement here overall. Well done. Yeah. Uh, in terms of scoring, I didn't have a lot to say, you know, I didn't really dig into the scoring that much because, you know, I think you can do individual scores for each of the stages, or you can try for a larger score for the gauntlet and super gauntlet and that sort of thing. But basically the key to scoring is to activate the vaunt system, uh, which gives you a score multiplier. One thing we forgot to mention is that while you're in vaunt, your, your uh, weapons do more damage. So it is advantageous to activate vaunt early and, continue to collect the cogs and the nuts so that you can keep Vaunt active um, because that not only keeps up your score multiplier, but then also makes your weapons more effective. And so that is obviously something that you want to do. It's sort of like, you know, we talked about with Crimson Clover where you, you want to always be breaking. Here, you want to basically get into Vaunt and then as much as possible stay in Vaunt because you continue to get that score multiplier while you're taking out enemies. But then when your vaunt runs out, you get an additional bonus at the end based on how long vaunt was active. And, and if you're able to sustain a vaunt across a whole stage, it's a pretty big bonus. Yeah, help you get, uh, speaking of scoring, I'll help you, that bonus will help you get and activate those moons. Right. And those moons are like I guess they call them rank in Jamestown. It, 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 it's a bunch to like if you hit this this rank here, then the game will get to be a little bit harder. And there's five of them over across the gauntlet, and the more the moons that you fill up, the harder that the enemies get. I was able to by using Vaunt almost all the time. I was able to fill it up to. Say almost full by stage 
into stage two into stage maybe halfway through stage three and like one or two moons left so it can be done it's it, I, I almost call it like expert mode when you're dealing with, with vaunted scoring yeah I never I never managed to get anywhere near that uh, you know level of of uh, rank if you will but I guess that's a good thing <laughs> You know, I, it, it is, we talked about this offline, and there's again just going to be some games where some people are going to be doing better than others. It's I mean, usually it's a foregone conclusion that Zoidal's going to beat everybody, but right. It, but not not everybody's going to be good at every game in there, and, it, and to me, it's always surprising to see what games I end up grabbing to gravitating to. Is I and one of the reasons I love the Shmup Club is I get to try out so many different things. And as much as I love Cave and the way that they stylize their games and the way that their games play, it's refreshing to see to get something that's not Cave to get a better understanding of how what I like about it, Shmups or STGs, and what specifically draws me to one, and what I personally will be looking for in a STG or Shmup, and I. I was surprised. I, I thought that I had heard so much great things about Jamestown that I wanted to see what it was, and it was very interesting. We'll get to this in a moment to see what it, how this game affected us differently. Right. So, as we're talking about, you want to start with your impression of the game? Yeah. This, this game was difficult for me on multiple levels. It was difficult for me to get into. Uh, I sort of liked it initially, but I found that I had a hard time dealing with the the way that everything was kind of was kind of set up. There, it was similar enough to games that I had played that I sort of got a feel for it, but then there was just enough different that I had a hard time, I guess, coping with what was different and. I enjoyed the fact that you could sort of tackle each stage individually and that you didn't have to deal with power-ups. So instead of, uh, like we did in... in um, oh yeah, Deep Space Waifu. <laughs> you know, sort of like we like with Kamui, that had a practice mode, but you start each stage that you go to practice in at zero power. So it always made the the practice mode a lot harder. Whereas with this game, because you're not dealing with power-ups, you don't have that effect. But you're also sort of going cold into those stages. And because each one is so different, you really have to approach them all very differently, which is good for variety and making sure that the experience doesn't get boring. But in terms of getting and maintaining some level of consistency in terms of how you route through the stage, how you approach the stage, etc. It made it more difficult for me. The other thing that I think was hard for me is the way that the game is presented. I typically don't have a problem with vertizontal games. You know, games that are vertically scrolling, but presented in a horizontal uh, aspect ratio. But in this instance, because it's a full 16 by 9 horizontal playfield but you're scrolling vertically and there's so much on the screen that you have to deal with 
it makes it a lot harder for me to kind of read the whole screen and see what was going on. Because I'm playing this in my living room on my TV, I'm glad that I didn't go full screen. I just sort of played with the application window, so it was smaller than my 55-inch screen, which would have been a nightmare. You know, the games that we played growing up, a lot of the shooters that were designed for home consoles or things like that, or even conversions of arcade games, you know, things like, say, Twin Cobra on the NES or 1943 or on the Genesis, uh, toe plan games like Truxton and Fireshark, you know, they, they took this approach where they sort of changed it enough to sort of manage the play field and make it not too overwhelming for you. Or, like Truxton and Fireshark did, where they sort of had a pillar box style where on the right-hand side was sort of a heads-up display that shows your score, your lives, your bombs, your power level, etc., and then kind of fit the game into a smaller section of that so it looks and feels more like the full 3x4 vertical monitor presentation. So that kind of allows those games to be easier to approach from a home, home console standpoint if you're familiar with playing the original on a Tate monitor. But this game, because of how it's presented, it works well with a multiplayer scenario because there's lots of screen space. You can kind of all stake out a position on screen and move within a certain kind of a certain area within the screen space. And so you can kind of do that. And, you know, it's making me think of one of the recent videos by Shmup Junkie uh, in his How to Shmup series of videos where he's talking about dominating the screen space and sort of staking out a position on screen and finding a way to kind of center yourself within that space and be able to, uh, you know, stick and move, so to speak, and, and go and take out enemies and things as you as you need. But sort of being able to dominate that screen space as best you can. And when you're talking about a vertical scrolling game through the full 16 by 9 wide aspect ratio, it's much harder to, to do that when you've got so many enemies spread out across that whole space. So for me, I found it a lot harder to deal with because one of the things that I've been learning about playing these games over the last couple of years that we've been doing this is, you know, a lot of the advice that you get is don't look at the whole screen, look at your ship or the white space around your ship that's sort of your immediate threats and that. But of course, me trying to learn these games better and, you know, know what I'm doing more, I'm also trying to sort of watch bullet patterns and things like that so I can visualize and sort of like Mark MSX says, to sort of read the patterns and know when you've got openings that you can dodge through or where you have opportunities to kind of sit still and, and wait, let a bullet pattern kind of just waft right by you, or when you have to kind of dodge around things because it's too much, or, you know, drop a bomb because in order for you to survive, sometimes you just can't get out of these situations if you allow yourself to be boxed into a corner. I felt like that a lot with this game. 
and I felt like there was so much going on on screen, and because there's so much screen space to pay attention to, that I had a hard time managing it. I'm starting to understand a little bit more why so many hardcore shmup players have a preference for vertically scrolling shooting games. You know, they talk about the more natural feeling of reading the screen from top to bottom and seeing bullets coming in, kind of dropping down at you, which makes sense to me. Uh, now, I I don't generally have a problem with horizontally scrolling games either, because again, I'm able to sort of read that right to left kind of thing. And sometimes a game like Darius Twin that we talked about previously will throw, uh, throw you for a loop by sending enemies and occasionally bullets coming in from the left side. But, you know, it's a matter of sort of knowing when those things are going to happen by learning the stage and being able to anticipate those things to set up an attack or kind of a preemptive strike against those enemies in order to deal with those threats. With this game, I felt like, at least for me, it was harder to have a good sense of where on screen I needed to be or where was going to be the best way to route through a stage. And of course, that changes depending on the ship type that you go with, because the attacks and the way that those attacks work and how they allow you to control your screen space differ wildly. And so it almost becomes a situation of you either have to pick a ship and stick with it or just grind a whole lot in order to learn the levels well enough that you can kind of deal with those things. And, you know, the schmuck grind, to me, is not one of the more fun aspects of the genre. I enjoy playing the games, and I enjoy learning and things like that, but the grind is not so much the fun for me unless I feel like I'm making progress. You know, if I'm going through and I'm playing a stage and I'm doing it over and over, like with save state practice or you know, when we were doing Ketsui in January, I could make a save state or I could do the the practice mode and play a certain stage and sort of approach it. And as I was playing, every couple of tries, with some exception, but I felt like gradually I was getting a little bit better. I was learning a little bit more. I was dealing with things a little bit better. And I never really got that sense or that feeling with this game where it never really felt like I was making progress. It felt more like I was getting lucky or like I managed to weave through bullets that I feel like should have killed me because I never had a good sense of what the hitboxes were. And it was just a matter that I activated Vaunt at the right time and had the shield so I could get past the wave of garbage that was coming at me. And then I got lucky in dodging the last few bullets in that pattern before then getting killed by something else a few seconds later. So to me, this game didn't click with me as like I thought it would and like I was hoping it would. And I, some of it I know is me because I didn't play the game nearly as much during the month as I had hoped or planned to because I had work stuff going on and personal stuff that kind of kept me from playing and streaming. And I took a break for something like almost two weeks where I didn't stream and I didn't really have time to play it either. So 
some of it's my fault because I didn't have the ability to dedicate the time to it that I would have liked. But while I was playing, even though I made progress, it didn't feel much like progress because it still felt like I'm credit feeding through each of these stages. I was never able to really do any of these stages on a higher difficulty without basically credit feeding through each one. And so for me to get through it or to get into the gauntlet, I'm burning up my three credits before I'm even halfway through stage two. And it's just, it's very defeating and demoralizing, particularly when we've tackled some difficult games that I have made real progress with and real progress with by doing the traditional way of starting at stage one and just playing and continuing to do that while I'm sort of learning my way through the game. And I just, I just never felt like I was really progressing in this game. Yeah, I took the, when I originally tried this out, I played it, you know, several years ago, the original Jamestown and liked what I played and never played too far into it. And I was like, you know what, we need to do this because it's perfect Thanksgiving type game. You know, just sort of like Death Smiles sort of fits into October. This fits really well into November. And I was like, this should be fun. Well, people, and I expected amazing things from this game because I had heard such high praise for it. And what I found was a very well-made game and a very well-put-together game, but not an amazing game like I had expected, which is okay. I think that... The way that I had expected it to play and the way that it played out are different. And had I been playing with a bunch of family members over or a bunch of people over, like they were playing in Shmup M3, I think my expectations and impression of the game would have been totally different. It, this is a game that, in my opinion, needs to be played with other people in order to get the most out of it. If you can wrangle up some great couch co-op STG... But playing it one player can be a little bit, um, not, I don't want to use the word lackluster, but it, it's, you don't see the, the full value out of it. I agree that this is a lot more akin to the way that an old school SDG works like our type than it is to a Damaku game. There aren't a lot of patterns that you really need to deal with, except for me. Maybe a little bit with stage five in with the memorization. A lot of it can just be due to reflex dodging and <clears throat> learning learning the stages. I didn't have too much trouble getting pretty far using the focus shot. <clears throat> but if you're trying to experiment with some of the ships out there, like the treason or with the ghost or some the the bomber, I could see those as beams a little bit more problematic. I, I, I definitely say I, I went the safe route when I chose my ship. But it allowed me to see more of the game. Uh, I think that they they did a great job. And there's a, another podcast out there that did a review on it who aren't very much into SCGs and hearing them talk about They absolutely love the game. And I, I think it's a testament to the game that, that someone could just pick it up and, and immediately get some enjoyment out of it. That's arcade experience, right? You want to have it where if you play for a little bit, you have a great time. That That's what what 
our generation looks for in a game. We, we're not looking for huge amounts of story on here or RPG elements. We just want to pick up and play in five minutes, and we've gotten some fun out of it. It, it, it does, does remind me a lot with R-Type in the way that it, and the higher difficulty, it really forces you to know exactly what you're doing, the pickups in the exact order, and if you screw up on that order, you're going to have to move quickly or you're going to die. <laughs> so like with our type stage, is it stage 4 or stage 5 when you start dealing with all the plant-based life forms that you have to shoot out? Uh, stage, yeah, stage 4. Yeah, yeah. And stage 3 I think is the big uh, battleship which seems to <clears throat> it's definitely something that people should try. I definitely give it a recommendation. If you have people over or want to try something for couch co-op, it is a lot of fun, but that comes with some caveats. If you're looking for something that plays more akin to a cave game or Damaku, go with Crimson Clover. If you're looking for something where you can jump in and play with your buddies, have some beers, have a good time, go with Jamestown or Jamestown Plus. Yeah. We did have... uh... We did have one good post at the end of the month from uh, Saturday Development, who said, I played a good bit this month, but none of my gauntlet runs ever felt worthy of posting a score. The pixel art is fantastic. The story is insanely creative. The music took me completely by surprise and matches the aesthetic perfectly. This game reminded me of why I prefer older games. The modern gameplay format where you get points to unlock things to help you get farther in the game without ever really getting good, <laughs> getting good, uh, came full circle for me when I tried to play the Gauntlet and Super Gauntlet modes and couldn't make it very far. I wish I would have focused on Gauntlet mode earlier and more often so that I could have at least worked my way up to making it through the first level on Legendary without eating a credit. I felt nothing when I beat the game in the non-gauntlet mode for the first time, because I hadn't really gotten that much better at playing the game well. The scoring system is interesting. I went with an always-be-vaunting approach, but never got good enough to skillfully time the initial vaunt shield to collect points from bullets. I spent most of my time focusing on survival, and never put too much thought into point accumulation. Random Note I didn't care for the Croatoa level that turned into an obstacle course midway through. In summary, I did really enjoy this game. It was a fun ride, and the overall presentation was excellent. I just wish I could have gotten better at the game so I could dig deeper into the scoring system. And yeah, I, I would have to echo some of those thoughts. Uh, so thank you very much, Saturday Development, for the very thoughtful commentary at the end of the month. Yeah, I, I, I get, and I, I wish that we had would have had a chance to all have a single platform to play this on, like at an arcade machine or something like that, where you could get the extra ships by putting a code or some something cool like that. I would really love to see this ported to, or, or, or made into arcade game by Galloping Ghost. Right. Yeah. So, I guess you know, in terms of final thoughts, echoing some of what Saturday Development said. I know some of my difficulty with the game was my own fault just for not playing it as much. But again, I kind of outlined some of my some of my criticisms with the way this is set up. I think this is a solid game with a solid foundation to build from. 
I don't know what Final Form Games is doing right now, but this is a strong initial effort that I think if they went back and did a sequel or did something else in this vein, I, I think they really have the opportunity to make a very strong uh, shooting game. And I would love to see a, a second effort or another another go at it from these guys because I really think they have a lot of the fundamentals down and it would be interesting to see if they took the sort of individual stage concept even further or if they went with a more traditional approach and then offered a sort of practice mode where you could practice the stages individually, you know, to allow you to get better at the game. But I would definitely like to see something more from this team because they obviously have the creativity, the sense of humor, the art style, and, you know, some of the, the chops to, to develop a good game. I, I think this is one of those things where, at least for me, I don't know if I'm if I could see myself coming back to this that much because of my issues with, you know, the screen space and some of that stuff. But I would definitely like to see what future efforts from this studio look like and would be watching with uh, with great interest as to what it is that they're going to do next. Yeah, I could echo those sentiments on there. It's a very strong first effort. And you can see that there was a lot of passion behind this game. I, I thought, I mean, if there wasn't that amount of passion, they would have made an interest. They would have made Jamestown Plus. It shows that that they, I mean, the, the music was definitely right there. The sound effects were right there. It for a freshman effort, it, it is extremely well done. I just wish that had chance to fully visit how they had intended by doing it co-op. Right. I, I don't think we got the entire artistic vision here. Right. And I think, you know, in some ways we did ourselves a disservice by picking the game now. You know, thematically it worked, but it would have been nice if we'd had more ability to do either online co-op or couch co-op, which in the time of COVID is harder to do. Uh, and, of course, with only a handful of participants, sort of harder to meet up online and, and try to do runs together, which I think would have maybe helped sell the game a little bit more to me playing it in that, in that fashion. Definitely. It's still a fun game to play by yourself. However, the multiplayer experience is where it's at. For sure. So, speaking of where, where things are at here, let's take a look at what's coming next. As we record this, we are in the month of December, and a lot of us are already playing December's game, Flight of the Pigris, for yes. the Sega Master System, which is a caravan shooter and is perfect. If you got two minutes of time or five minutes of time, you'll have a, lot, a good time with Flight of the Pigris. Absolutely. And you can order it, a physical cartridge of it, until the... 15th of December so please be sure to take a look at the game beforehand it's completely free and if you want to order a physical cartridge there they are taking orders until the 15th of December which it's available or the link to what's on the RF generation 
forums in there for the Shmup Club. In January 2021, we kick off with a bang our scoring competition for the year, which will be Battle Garega. Yes. I am looking forward to Battle Garega. That is one of those games that I've always been kind of intimidated by. Um, but the more video I watch of it, you know, having seen Mark's recent review and watching some runs and things and, and seeing some people stream it, I really feel like this is a good opportunity for me to finally dig into this game and hopefully give us the ability to sort of demystify it a little bit. Um, because it is somewhat esoteric, but I think that's just because it's so deep in terms of the scoring and the rank system that it may seem as though it's a bit unapproachable. And I kind of have always felt like that. But but as I've learned more about the genre and playing more of these games, I, I'm starting to get a better sense of how a lot of this stuff works on a more of a regular basis. So I think this will be an interesting one to, to dig into. And like Ketsui for 2020, Battle Garega will be our 2021 scoring competition game. Which reminds me, you know, as we're recording this, uh, we're, we're approaching the middle of December. And so by the time this episode is out, there will probably be just a couple weeks left in the month to get your scores in. And so uh, all of you listening out there, if you haven't submitted a score yet and you plan to, or if you have a score and you know that uh, you're not the top spot and you want to try to vie for that, make sure to check out the thread on rfgeneration.com and uh, try to throw in a final score. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to seeing those scores. All right. Would you like to uh, shout out a couple people? Yeah. So thank you to Studio Mud Prince for the logo, which we have on t-shirts. Uh, you can go to redbubble.com and search for shoot the core dash cast. And there'll be uh, our standard logo design, as well as our guidance episode design that you can order on a t-shirt or several other items that uh, you can get. So buy a shirt, support the podcast and uh, you know, free advertising. <laughs> um, thank you to Kogasu for the intro and outro music. Shout out to the RF Gen Playcast and CollectorCast, our sister podcasts here on the site, and uh, also to those who are still participating in uh, the 2019-2020 RF Gen NES Challenge. I know Crabmaster2000 just recently conquered Ikari Warriors, which is brutally difficult without using the Infinite Lives code. But he managed to pull it off, uh, which is no small feat. So big, big ups to uh, Crabmaster for accomplishing that, because uh, I don't know how many of us would have the patience to actually get that done. Oh, no, I'm an ABBA man. Yeah, I'm, I'm an ABBA man as far as that goes, too. Uh, also, uh, I do stream the games uh, during the course of the month. Uh, I've already done a couple streams with uh, Flight of Picarus, so be watching for those. You can go to twitch.tv slash guru gameboy to check it out and, uh, you know, watch me play. We'd also like to shout out uh, DJ Psycho M1. He is a Twitch streamer who 
has started this thing called No Emulation, where he he actually streams from arcade hardware um, and has a pretty cool and complicated setup with multiple cabinets. And so he's got a he's got a Blast City cabinet, Sega Blast City cabinet that he streams from, and uh, then he also has a uh, his most recent acquisition is a new Astro City. And so that has a, a Tate monitor in there. So he's been definitely bringing the shmup heat here of late. And uh, as we record this, the we- earlier in the week, he brought out uh, Raiden Fighters and Raiden Fighters 2 boards that he recently acquired. And he's doing a thing during this whole month where each week in December, he's going to be highlighting a new shmup board that he gets and he's big, big shmup guy. He plays a lot of those. He plays other stuff too, um, but his streams are always fun to watch. And uh, he's very animated. And uh, of course, you get to see his adorable cat uh, during those streams, which is always good. But it's always a lot of fun. And he <clears throat> has been very, very gracious and has been uh, repping the podcast because um, I typically watch his streams just about every Tuesday. And so he, he almost always shouts me out during his streams. And so big shout out to DJ Psycho M1 for not only, con- you know, bringing the shmup, uh, stuff to, to Twitch and, and being part of, of, uh, a community of people that are bringing more awareness to the genre, um, but also for, for being a friend of the podcast. Yeah. If we can ever get everybody together forever at Galloping Ghost, it'll be fun to meet them. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, so if you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can also follow me directly at GameboyGuru. Uh, make sure you join RFGeneration.com. Once again, it is free. And come join us for a Shmup Club play th- playthrough. And, uh, you know, discuss the game with us there. You can also subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. Uh, if you do write a review for us, we will read that on the on the podcast. So if you want a little bit of internet fame, send us a review. Make sure you join the RFGeneration.com uh, Discord channel as well, linked from the front page of the site. We have a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there where we discuss the Shmup Club Game of the Month, podcast episodes, and shooting games in general. Uh, so come check us out there. And again, follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash guru gameboy to watch the Shmup of the Month streams and to get notifications of new streams. I'd also like to shout out everybody who, and thank everybody who played with us for the Shmup of the Month for this month. Yes, thank you very much. Anything else that we need to uh, need to hit on before we close up shop? I hope everyone's staying safe and staying healthy. Yep. And remember, beef, it's what's for dinner. Yum. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we shall see you next month.